Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Herb and I'm an alcoholic. Welcome to our Zoom Big Book Workshop. Please join me in prayer for an open mind. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, the 12 steps in you for an open mind and a new experience of myself my brokenness, the 12 steps, and especially you. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference. We've established a very firm foundation in step one, excavating broadly and deeply both our understanding and our experience of our history. Initially, our history with addiction. Looking at the problem of the body, when I start, I cannot stop. Eventually, looking at the mind, when I stop, I cannot stay stopped. Powerless. We become so brain dead to that word that I try to stimulate a new experience by using the term no choice. It's clear from the big book that no choice is the relevant language. That's why it's in step one powerless, a biological impediment when I start, I cannot stop developing the craving. That is that compulsive use of a substance or engagement in a process over which I have no control. As I look back over my shoulder, always excess. And when I tried to stop, and I do stop, I can't stay stopped. Even if it was a year or two or ten, if I started again, it means I didn't stay stopped. And that's a problem of the mind. Much more subtle, much more subversive, much more difficult to get a handle on. And yet, that's our experience that strange mental blank spot, that insanity that it will be different this time, meaning we hope it'll be better, safer, successful. And it never is. But it's also no choice when it comes to our own willpower in terms of our life and reality. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. Unmanageability 
even with continuous abstinence. That was my experience at 10 years of sobriety. I had had 10 years of going to meetings every day, talking to a sponsor every day, working the steps right around my fourth or fifth year, successfully out of the book with the book mechanic, step guide, and having a very powerful life-changing experience, an awakening that was profound and measurable. You've heard me talk about it, 1988. And again in 1991. And yet, when I came to being 10 years sober, working through the steps with a new man, a new mechanic, none of them ever became my sponsor. He introduced me to the set-aside attitude and prayer and introduced me to the bedevilments on page 52. And at 10 years of sobriety with two previous spiritual awakenings, I began to realize in technicolor what unmanageability meant, those bedevilments. Because we do not escape from being human. And I believe that's what Bill means in step 10 when he says, you're placed in a position of neutrality with regard to your addiction but you have a daily reprieve from your unmanageability. A daily reprieve protected from going back to that obsession. You're not protected, I almost misspoke there. You're not protected from unmanageability. That is the daily condition, but it doesn't hijack to a place where we have the obsession return. Our life is unmanageable on our own willpower, he says. Bill does in the big book. And then it became my experience as I measured it against those bedevilments. And I read the description of the underlying cause and condition in pages 60 to 62. And on page 60, it has that question that I asked, that statement that I asked you to turn into a question for yourself. And we spent some time on it. Are you convinced that your life run on self-will, having nothing to do with addiction, have everything to do with your life and the reality of your life in abstinence? I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. And so at that level, at that experience, with that knowledge, we come face to face with no choice. No matter how smart and educated I am and no, how, no, no matter how strong my willpower is in lots of other areas, I don't seem to be able to navigate reality very comfortably, very successfully. I'm hitting speed bumps that throw me off track all the time. Oh, I don't relapse over it, but I'm restless, irritable, and discontent, the big book suggests. And so both from an addiction standpoint, having no power, and from an unmanageability standpoint, having no power, 
Step two introduces us to the search for power. Page 45. Bill asks us a couple questions on page 45. Where and how are we going to find this power? And he tells us, well, that's what this book is about. And at the beginning of our journey, that wasn't the first question I asked you to ask yourself in step two. I asked you to ask yourself what you actually believe and to write it out. Not what you know or think or feel or read or have been told by other people. None of that. No, what do you actually believe? So I suggested that you look up the term belief in a dictionary. So that you have a sense of where you're going, at least with the dictionary definition. My dictionaries, and I have several, were very inadequate in looking at faith and belief and trust. Very inadequate. Most of them said something like, faith is belief and belief is trust and trust is faith. And I chased my tail. It did not answer the question when you define one word by another word and then by this another word, you're going in circles. And I was not clear as to what faith is and what belief is and what trust is as I approached chapter four. What is faith? How is it distinguished between that and belief? And what the heck does trust mean? I'm not going to answer that right now, but we will over the time of doing chapter four, which will take three or four workshops for sure. And now the second question that I'm asking you, it's not in the big book, but it was the veil rending question for me as I was doing this work at 10 years of sobriety. I did not know that I was an agnostic. I believed I believed and I wrote a wonderful theological treatise on what I believe and the man said it was beautiful. Theologically quite inspirational and quite deep and quite accurate and even poetic. And then he sent me home with another question, which is what I'm sending you home with. I don't believe I've given it to you yet. Sometimes my notes are not that accurate. You wrote out what you believe. Now I'm asking you to write out an answer to this question. How do you behave in light of what you believed you believe? That was really confrontational when I got to it in the set-aside attitude and the set-aside prayer. Because I discovered I was not behaving in the same way that I wrote out that wonderful theological treatise. I wasn't on a daily basis praying. I wasn't on a daily consistent basis meditating. God was something I absolutely thought I believed in, but wasn't very relevant in my life. I was very self-reliant, even at 10 years of sobriety. 
the awareness of the presence of God was not my priority. As the spiritual experience in Appendix 2 suggests it will become with authentic transformation. In fact, it says awareness of the presence of God is the essence of a spiritual experience. So when I wrote out the contrast between how I behaved measured up against what I believed, I saw that I was an agnostic and I understood agnostic as a doubter coming from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, which means knowledge, and you put an A in front of it, it means a doubter or not knowledge or not knowable. In contrast to an atheist, coming again from a Greek word, theos, originally Zeus, which just means the divine, whatever we're referencing as God, theos. And when you put an A in front of it, it means not God. An atheist absolutely rejects any immaterial reality. An agnostic just says, I doubt it, and it's doubtful, and by the way, it's not knowable. Very different, and Bill suggests here on pages 44 and 45 that half of the membership comes to AA with that problem, comes to the 12-step program, 50% of people with some doubt or disbelief or resistance. I had you read chapter four from the viewpoint of just highlighting from your written statement about what you actually believe to read the chapter and highlight any word or phrase that spoke to you. Now I want you to reread it with a different color highlighter from the perspective of a question that I'm giving you. What do you resist when you read it? What do you not believe when you read it? What word or phrase has a negative connotation to you when you read chapter four? With a different hi highlighter. You may highlight over something you've already highlighted just because it's a different question in a different perspective and that's just fine. These are mechanical methods to approach this with a set-aside attitude and a set-aside prayer and a set-aside experience. On page 45, he talks about doubt and prejudice, a particular idea. And some people have abandoned the God idea entirely. On page 46, he has many um, synonyms, Supreme Being, capital S, capital B, Power, capital P. But at the bottom of that, he's very comforting, he tells us. And this is the principle adopted in the 12-step culture. It is impossible for us to fully define or comprehend that power. It is impossible for us to fully define or comprehend. My approach to that is whatever I'm looking at to identify as this 
supreme being, this power, is infinite. By definition, it didn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. And even that concept, I cannot wrap my mind around because I have a beginning and I have an end. I'm finite by definition. And whatever it is I'm thinking about here as a power other than myself is the polar opposite of who I am. I'm finite. It's infinite. And I have no idea even what that means, other than I know that that's the direction of authentic theology. But, he says, our own conception, however inadequate, is sufficient. Our conception is inadequate. I may have made the metaphor before about what I learned in the second grade, where the good nun said, God is like the ocean and we're like a bucket and you can't put the ocean in a bucket because the ocean is bigger than the bucket. This is how you talk to second graders. Well, this is how I talk to you. This is how I talk to myself in order to really kind of wrap my mind around this whole contrast between whatever this reality is that we're attempting to grapple with a power other than ourselves. And that's one of the reasons that the big book is so magnificent, where they captured the phrase, as you understand it. It would have been better, actually, if it said, as I don't understand it. God, as I don't understand it. Our own conception is sufficient to make the approach and to effect a contact with God. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, capital C, capital I, a spirit of the universe, capital S, capital U, underlying the totality of things, one of my more favorite phrases, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps, provided we did the balance of the step work finishing the ninth step. We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek God. To us, the realm of spirit, another synonym, is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive to those who earnestly seek. It's a wonderful, powerful, positive phrase, paragraph. Page 47, and I'm going to stop in the middle of that paragraph. Page 47, when we speak to you, we mean your conception of God, your own. Step two, let's be really clear, listen to the step itself, came to believe. Boy, does that ring true for me. I was 10 years sober, 54 years old. When I really addressed my agnosticism and really began to connect to a power other than myself in any conscious, intelligent way. Up till that point, it had been robotic, all given to me from the outside. At this point, at the end of chapter four, it came from the inside. Do not let any prejudice you might have against spiritual terms deter you. What do they mean? That's why we use the dictionary so liberally. 
at the start, this was all that was needed to commence spiritual growth, to effect your first conscious relation with God as we understood God. Afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of our reach. So we used our own conception, however limited it is. We use our own conception, Gandhi said. Our concept of God will change as we do. 100% my experience. And here's where I'll stop with this middle paragraph. We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. So another question Bill gives us. Do I now believe? Well, we're only a page and a half into chapter four. We're only a page and a half into step two. We've just begun step two, which admittedly is a process. So some of you may say, no, I don't believe yet. I've come to this process. I've come to this workshop with a resistance and even with some outright disbelief. Okay, because he's got a fallback position. Bill is brilliant here. He's leading us in program learning at its best. Do you now believe? Yeah, I don't think so. Or are you willing to believe? Oh, well, look at that. A pretty safe safety net. What was your experience in step one? Well, let's see. Powerless. That means I don't have a choice. That means I need a power other than myself. So unless there is a power other than myself, I'm screwed. That's not in the big book. That's an interpretation. Are you willing to believe then? Are you willing to believe that there is a power greater than yourself? As soon as you can say this, that you're willing to believe, you're on your way, he said. This is the cornerstone. He begins now to give us a metaphor, which he continues through steps two, three, and then completes it at the end of step five. He says here that willingness is the cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. In step three, he calls it a spiritual arch, and he calls step three the keystone. He doesn't mention it again until at the end of step five on page 75, where he says, we have now built, at the end of step five, page 75, we have now built a spiritual arch through which we can walk to a new freedom. Step two, the cornerstone, the first stone placed on the foundation of step one that sets the direction of the entire arch. Step three, which is the keystone, that stone at the pinnacle of the arch, at the very top of the arch that holds the entire structure together. And then step five, he says, we've, now we've walked through the arch. We've built the arch and we've walked. He doesn't mention anything between step three and the end of step five. I have to assume then that step four are the building blocks of the arch. Resentment and fear and dishonesty and dysfunctional sexuality and secrets. All words that you'll become much more familiar with when we get into step four. He doesn't say that, the book doesn't say, but it implies that. If here we have the cornerstone of willingness and in step three, the keystone of a decision to turn 
And at the end of step five, the arch is built and we're walking through it to a new freedom. Apparently step four are the building components. In fact, on page 75, he talks about those building components. Have you been diligent? Have you been careful with detail? We'll get all of that as we get through steps four and then step five. The point I want to make here is that he calls willingness the cornerstone. This is great news. We can accept things on faith, which are difficult to believe. He's making a distinction here. Two different words, two different concepts, two different meanings. It is comforting to learn that we can commence at a simpler level, begin. All right, so next week we'll take a look at the material from 47 to 53. And I'll have another assignment for reading. Pay attention to his variations on looking at logic, looking at science, looking at theology, looking at common sense, looking at pure salesmanship as he's trying to navigate people from their resistance into some type of acceptance. It might help, although the book doesn't say this, it's my conclusion that step two is a decision. Step three clearly is a decision. It's in the step itself, made a decision to turn. But step two is also a decision. You might see that when you look at page 53, where Bill asks another set of questions. God is or God isn't. God is everything or God is nothing. What is your choice? He's asking us to make a decision there. We'll talk more about that next week. So I'd like to hear from you uh, today on certainly any experience that you've had with unmanageability, looking at the worksheet on the will, as well as answering that question, am I convinced? And then whatever experience you might have had or questions that you might have had in writing out what it is you actually believe about God, about higher power, and your first reading from chapter four. So I have a question about the bedevilments um, and the unmanageability on what is that, page 52, correct? Um, the things that are expressed in the bedevilments are gonna come up throughout our lives. Sure. Um, that it's, um, and that as we, but, but we work our program to deal with them. Yes. So to read this and to say, oh no, I never have them oh. <laughs> at any point in time, because that's what my perfectionist oh. self, would, and that, of course that's what I read into the question. Mm -hmm. And I thought, um, but what if somebody else in our group 
had the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all of us were like, well, yeah, of course we relate to those things. And so I was just asking what's realistic to expect that we yeah. have those, of course, but then we work our program and they don't stay. We don't, I don't live there, yes. but of course I go there sometimes. Yes. Is that realistic? Yeah, it, it's totally realistic. And it's an area that's uh, really needs a lot of clarification for many people in the program, especially the perfectionists in the group. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, it's just, there's about 30% of you that are just, Unfortunately, in a very unhealthy way, you're perfectionists. It's okay to want to be better, but it's impossible for us to be perfect because, in fact, we're creative beings with material reality, and that's always going to be imperfect. Material reality is always going to be imperfect. Having said that, Bill recognized that in step 10. In the big book, he said, watch for resentment, fear, dishonesty, and selfishness when they crop up. He doesn't say if. So it's totally validating what your approach is here, that I'm a human being. I'm going to have my humanity manifest differently at different times for different reasons. And he says in the 12 and 12, when I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. It's a spot check inventory. When I'm disturbed, step 10 says, pause and pray. Talk to somebody about it. Make an amend if you've created some damage and turn your thoughts to helping somebody else. But the key was, in answer to your question, is we never transcend our humanity. Mm -hmm. In fact, Bill says in step 10, we're not cured. Mm -hmm. We are not cured. Although we're recovered with regard to our addiction, we're not cured with regard to our unmanageability. That's our state of humanity, like you were indicating. That's our state of humanity. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be navigating life in my favorite images of speed bumps. You've probably had, and everybody on the call has had the experience that some streets have very large speed bumps and some have very small speed bumps, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of like life. Life has speed bumps. And the better my shock absorbers, the better I handle the speed bumps. Mm-hmm. It goes right mm-hmm. directly to your uh, uh, comment concerning using the tools. I can navigate white water if you will, with the, uh, what do you call it? The um, canoeing down a stream. Sometimes the stream is very smooth. Sometimes it's rough with the waters and that's called white water. And I can nav- the, the better I can navigate it, the, the, the safer I am. The better skills that I have, the better I can navigate it. And that's what is meant, I believe, by step 10, when we're disturbed, it doesn't say if we're disturbed, when we're disturbed, then we have these tools. And the more conscious we are, that's why we do step 11 in the morning to become as conscious as we can and step 11 at night to see how well we did so that we're in sort of a a constant state of improving our consciousness. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah, very much. Yes, yes. Yeah.
Thank you, Herb. The question, am I convinced that my life run on self-will has not been a success? I am totally convinced. You know, I, I've told you before, Herb, that um, I've had years of sobriety and worked hard at sobriety and I've always loved it. But I've had a lot of speed bumps along the way and I could never figure out, I could never figure it out. You know, I just thought, you know, what am I doing wrong? I'm not doing enough. I'm not reading enough. I'm not going to enough meetings. I shouldn't be acting this way. Mm -hmm. And um, when I first came into the workshop, Herb, I really thought that, well, you know, this is going to be great. I'm so drawn to this, but a lot of this is just not going to pertain to my walk, you know, because I've done yeah. all the work. <laughs> Well, you know, I found out that's not true. You know, this, the, your, your uh, teaching on step one was fantastic. And I definitely have a new experience of powerlessness. When I look back on um, that part of the, uh, of the big book and uh, the bedevilments, you know, Herb, I've read that before. And I remember a guy talking about it in the lead one time, but I never really looked at my life in that, in that light. And, and I truly think, Herb, that I was just delusional about things. That, you know, you, sometimes you say that you, you couldn't see that you didn't see, or how are you say that? I honestly didn't see it, Herb. Yeah, and yeah. I look at, I'm, I look not, at, I'm not speaking poetry. <laughs> no, I mean, I look at it now, and, and I feel like for the first time I've been honest about it, you know, that I can actually say that I am unhappy. You know, I, I am sometimes full of fear. And before I would think with as much sobriety as I've had and meditation and centering prayer, I couldn't say those things because it just didn't seem like it was a good fit for me. I don't know. Right, right, right. Embarrassed that I even have these thoughts. I, I, I'm, I, I, should, I should be way beyond that. <laughs> that is right. You know, my sponsor told me years ago, Herb, that when you are sober through Alcoholics Anonymous, there should be something different about you. And, you know, I've, I've really believed that, Herb. And I've, I, that's what I, that was always my desire to be that witness. But I would fall so far short sometimes with my actions. And, you know, it was mostly always with my wife. Mm -hmm. you know, she would get the, you know, the sharp tongue and, you know, you know how it goes. I do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you move on to step two. And if I could just briefly, I want to talk about that thing about what I believe about God, because um, this is something I'm hoping you can help me with her. I when I first came in. Um, you know, my sponsor talked to me about being willing to believe and, and I did not resist that at all. Mm -hmm. I was willing to do what my sponsor suggested. And, you know, all through my years in Alcoholics Anonymous, I just feel like I've been drawn by God. I, I've always felt like I have a good relationship with God. You know, my thing is I believe in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit lives in me and teaches me and counsels me. But when I heard you talking tonight about the contrast of how I behave compared to what I believe, yeah. oh my gosh, Herb, there's a huge difference there. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, Herb, it's not like I'm running around out there misbehaving or being secretive or being dishonest to my wife or anything. That's not it. Right. It's, it's the bedevilments that are happening in my life and my behavior yep. and unmanageability of, and then constantly trying to fix it myself. Yep. I'll just work a little harder. 
I'll go to another workshop. Honest, honey, it'll never happen again. You know how much I care about you. And you know what, Herb? Those things are all true. Right, it is. Yep. But, you know, left to my own power, just not there. And it is not happening. Yep. Well, and that's the improvement in consciousness that comes when you're open and have a set-aside attitude coming with the time and the beliefs and the experience that you've had. And everything I'm hearing from you is now you're, you're having new awareness and new experiences. Yeah, what a gift. Yeah, and thank you so much, Herb, because you know, you say, you know, through some of this devastation and hopelessness that there's a lot of hope there. And you know what? I believe that because I feel so inspired by all this too. It's like answers to questions I've never been able to answer on my own. Yeah. And I'm going to push it a little bit further. I was given questions I had never heard questions about. They were not questions that I had. They were gifts of this new process that I had, the questions like I just asked about contrasting your belief as you really sincerely believed it with now this new question as to how do I behave and see the point counterpoint for the very first time. Yeah. And I thank you so much for that, Herb. I am so willing and so ready to go deeper. And thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And you will. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, going back to the comment on the uh, first step, one of my good friends said, the fourth step is the first step in writing. So you will, it's a spiral staircase. You will come back to the first step experience of powerlessness as you go through each component of the fourth step. Okay, Herb, I'm going to look forward to that promise. Well, I don't know look forward might be the right term. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I did look at the question, the definitions, and I also wrote out what my uh, belief was, is, my belief is. Um, I want to talk, I think, a little bit about what my belief is. And that's, I guess, part of what's difficult because Um, I'm still trying to get to the point where I'm not concerned about what you think in general about what I say Mm -hmm. about my belief. Um, And that's the hard part, I guess, for me. So anyway, with that said, um, you know, when I wrote this out, I, you know, I, I really went back to things that just seemed to make sense to me about uh, my higher power, uh, this this force um, is just everywhere. That's my belief. It's everywhere. Um, I don't, you know, and I see it as, as being in me and in everything else. Um, it's like, like you say, energy. It's the thing that makes atoms move, makes the electrons and the protons move and rotate. There's something that's making that happen. It's not me, and it's no one else on this planet. So it's got to be greater than me. And so I see it really in at that level. Um, I believe, I believe that people punish themselves and I believe I'm a chief punisher of myself. I don't think my higher power punishes me. I think I punish me, you know? Um, and I, I think that I also can, can give myself joy. Um, the joy is in staying in the flow, in the stream of life, in the, in the flow of nature, so to speak. 
in the flow of that force, that force. When I go against it, that's when I get the rub. That's when I start to feel the friction. That's when I know I'm off track, so to speak. Um, I, I don't, I grew up, I definitely grew up in church, um, but I just don't have that concept of a being. Well, a prep, you, a physical you described a, 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 a reality, though. I mean, I thought that was a very insightful description as you're talking about this permeating reality that, I mean, that's my term, but I was, I'm, I'm capturing what you said. And um, Bill said it, I read it tonight, the spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things. That's exactly what you were just describing. Yeah. And that's, actually, when I read that, that's where, and I said, yes, yes, that's it. And then I guess the, 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 the ego or whatever, the other part of my mind or the teachings that I have is like, wait a minute now, that's, you know, because then I start getting caught up into everything I was taught, you know, and then how I process what I was taught. I'm not criticizing what I was taught. It's just how I processed it. It's okay to criticize what you were taught. Okay. <laughs> you might have to do that to discover the truth. This is true. Okay, good, good. Well, that's what I believe. I, I really, I really do believe that. I believe I'm part of that force. Yeah. I think of it like the like if you took a bucket of water out the ocean. Yeah, and and that's a component of the ocean, but it's not the ocean. That's it. Lean into that concept of flow. I think you'll find it very productive for yourself as we go through this uh, chapter. Okay. Thank yeah. you. I have trouble taking the action to create the the connection with what I believe in, you know, and that's part of what I've been working towards and, and part of what draw, drew me to this group. That's a big part of the unmanageability for me has been being in recovery a long time and not being able to be consistent with prayer and meditation. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I guess in that way, I was kind of thinking ahead to the next part about like, do I behave like I believe this? And it seems like what I believe is, I mean, I still behave, believe it. I just, I don't have the power to take the action to stay connected to it, to really, uh, you know, to do the things that I, that are, that will bring me connection and to not do the things that cause a wedge between that connection. Right, right. That's a, a careful consideration. So where am I powerless and where do I have responsibility? Where am I powerless and where am I mm -hmm. careless? Where am I powerless and where is it that I really don't believe when I don't behave that way? My biggest conversation, the heart of my conversation with people who say they appreciate meditation and that it's really important, but they don't have time to do it. My challenge is, well, then you don't really believe it's important if you don't have time to do it because you do make time for the things that are important to you. 
Well, I no, I've been like seeing this struggle because I've been in recovery so long between my phone and the news and the New York Times and God, you know, as just like the New York Times, which is in a way like my an addiction to drama. It's not the drama in my life, but the world drama. Right. You know, it's like I'm addicted to that shit. And and right. it's like every morning my goal is to like just light a candle and be with God. But this little like zombie box I'm staring at right now, which is, you know, I have such a love-hate relationship with it, it. You know, I'm addicted to this little piece of technology. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Bill uses the value proposition concerning meditation in step 11. He says, as air, water, sunshine, and food nourish and sustain the body, prayer and meditation nourish and sustain the soul. You have to ask yourself, do you believe what he just said? Because if, in fact, you're not doing daily meditation, you don't believe it. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I know. Yeah. And so then I try to help people try to get real mm, clear about the value proposition of prayer and meditation. Really, what is the benefit to me? What is the import, import of prayer and meditation to me? Um, not just as an addict, not just as a spiritual person, but as just as a human being, what is the importance of meditation for me as a human being? And those are all nice it, rhetorical questions. Yeah, it's giving me the pause between like yelling at my kid. <laughs> it's giving me, you know what I mean? And not. Yep. Or the emotional reactivity, you know, or impulsively yep. saying or doing things that I'm going to regret. That's not who, not like who I want to be. And with a daily practice of meditation, you will have a bigger ability to pause and be kinder. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So then that's the question of how important is it to pause and to be kind? I think I want a drama-free life. I don't know if I really do. Here's how you can figure out the answer to that question. Ask your feet how they're moving. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. I'll do some writing about that one tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Your feet tell you what you believe. Your feet tell you what your character is. Yeah. Your feet tell you what your motives are. How you behave right. is who you are. Yeah. That's very confrontational. Yeah. When I first heard that, I had to sit down for a minute to hold on to that because that is very confrontational. Mm-hmm. My feet always well, yeah. tell the truth. My head always lies to me. It's true. I, I heard, remember hearing someone early at a meeting say, if you want self-esteem, do esteemable things. It's, it's, a, it's deep wisdom, and yet it's so simple, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's still, still have to let go one finger at a time, you know, pride, you know. 
um, you know, the whole let go or be dragged. I mean, I, I tend to get dragged around before I let go. And then, darn it, I grab on again sometimes. Um, so that's really kind of what I identified with is my actions not aligning to what I think I believe or what I think I know I need to do. Well, it sounds like that you don't really trust God. Yeah, I guess that's that's there. Yeah, yeah. What, what does God know about a job and finances? I mean, you got to do all that your own self, right? Yeah, and I had some things not to get dialoguing or whatever. I had I saw my brother killed when I was nine, and parents were kind of a mess, divorced, whatever. It wasn't safe, um, really, until uh, I was on my own. And I think that that sticks. Uh, you know, I, I wish it wouldn't stick so much. You know, I think about I'm 50 years old, and that was the first 18 years. You know, I've had 32 good years, you know, whatever, 32 good years. Then why is that still sticking? Um, well, but that's uh, one of the things that I have to continue to let go of. You have to do what? I have to continue to work on letting go of and healing um, that dysfunction of the first 18 years. I think a lot of my trust issues are mm -hmm. um, around that. That sounds like um, a pretty severe trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So. Have you ever reached out for professional help there? Yes, um, a little bit in college. Um, That's in a overtime. history. <laughs> no. <laughs> you said you're 50 and college is when you're 20. I know, I know. No, I know. There's, there's, a, there's a lot there to that. Um, but um, I've worked through a lot of things in program, but certainly I have to get down to fundamental, like trust is a decision that I have to make. And I have to make it in a lot of little ways. I think that I need to start small. And um, at the same time, if you had a broken leg, you wouldn't go to church. Yeah. You would go to a doctor for diagnosis and some healing. Yeah. One of the psychologists in San Francisco, Dr. Wellwood wrote a book on spirituality and therapy. And in that, he said, too many people seek out spirituality as a solution to emotional problems. He called it spiritual bypass. The program will not cure your diabetes. The program will not fix your broken leg. If you have clinical depression, the program will not be the right intervention. All I'm saying is, pay attention. If this is a serious impediment in the quality of your life, this trauma, then you might need to seek professional help to just take you over the goal line. Mm -hmm. That's all. Right. You know, being in the program for so long and, you know, still working with things that you think that you should have gotten past. Right. But still thinking that we should be someplace where we're not. Right. And I'm where God wants me to be. You know, this is the new experience that I'm having. This is the awakening that I'm having. I'm right where God wants me to be. I just need to accept that. 
that this is where I'm supposed to be and not what I think. You're, you're at least where you want to be. Because mm -hmm. if you wanted to be someplace else, you would be. Right. All right. Now, maybe if you continue to become more conscious, you'll improve on your decisions and the outcomes will improve. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I'm still working with, you know, because you kind of corrected me there. And I, I, I'm still working with the correction piece because I had said, <laughs> I said I was where God wanted me to be. And you kind of backed me up and said, you're where you want to be. So I think I was processing that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, you are where you are. Mm -hmm. But I'm not quite sure that I would settle for well, that's exactly where God wants me to be. If I'm if gotcha. I'm robbing banks, that's probably not where God wants me to be. That's okay. where I'm going to be, and that's what I'm doing right now. But probably that's out of sync with the flow. Okay. okay. So um, here's the real litmus test. Bill says in the step 10 in the 12 and 12, it's a spiritual axiom. When mm -hmm. I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. So... Check out when you're disturbed, that means you're out of alignment with reality or out of alignment with God's will. Right. So the, the, it's a wonderful question, though, that you're allowing us to have a conversation about is, so what is reality? What is the flow? What is God's will for me? Right. I think that sometimes, you know, just being in AA, and, you know, just saying stuff that's been said over the years, repeating stuff that you've heard people say, you just say it, but not really delve into what it means, or is there, you know, more beyond that? So that, I'm, I'm glad you said that, because that's all I was doing was mimicking something that I've heard and hadn't really given it any real thought. And, and, and that will be a constant experience with the workshop, because that attitude that you just articulated so well is what I challenge myself with all the time. Mm -hmm. you, hear, you hear so many things that sound pretty good, mm -hmm. but if I only repeat them, I'm brain dead. And I want to own it. I want to make sure that it's my understanding and it's my experience. Because when I do that, then the world opens up much bigger. What do I actually believe about God? Unnameable, mysterious, undefinable. I said it's all around, covers all the world and creation with its love and compassion. It is mother and father for me. It's perfect love. It cares for me and has provided protection for me <laughs> all the days of my life. Um, it's never left me, even though I have left it many, many times. I've felt God's presence and have heard God's voice. And I'm grateful for this love that's within me. Um, but this, I don't know what you call it, love, grace. I can't do anything to earn it. I just need to be, to be open, uh, to receive um, I, you know, when I read some of, some of the stuff in chapter four, 
you know, when they talk about that great reality down deep down within us in the last analysis is only there that he may be found. And there was some, some other, I wrote page 46, um, something about God's uh, uh, being roomy, broad, roomy, and all-inclusive. That just, that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I sort of get, I, I, you know, and this is, today, this is a completely different way of experience, this presence, this power. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Wonderful. Thank you very much. A very rich reflection. And it'll be interesting now as you answer the second question. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thank you, Herb. So I looked up the definition of belief and faith. Um, so I had belief was an acceptance that something exists or is true, especially without proof. And then it had trust and faith or confidence in someone or something. And then when I looked up faith, it was sort of the same. It said yeah. complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Yeah. Um, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance that the Lord is working, even though we cannot see it. So I, I thought, okay, well, what do I believe? And, and what came up for me as I was sort of in quiet time and, you know, asking the question was, I definitely believe that there's something there that created this world. But Herb, I don't have confidence or trust because mm -hmm. I don't believe, for me, it's, I say he, I don't believe that he's strong enough to take away my food obsession I really believe that my food obsession is so much stronger than anything or anyone. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that he can't give me the relief from my head and my negativity, my fears, like the food can. Um, and I read that to, to, to someone and she said, well, that doesn't make sense because the food doesn't really give you relief from the negativity and the anxiety and depression it actually causes it <laughs> so i'm still believing that lie that's what came up out of, out no, of this I, I think it's a, a wonderful reflection and dialogue with somebody who has some experience that's great I, I, i'm just reinforcing I'm, I'm loving your conversation your exploration yeah so i i took again to my quiet time why don't i trust what is it? What is it that I, why can't I trust? And then I started to have all these flashbacks of my past as a child, all these things that happened to me. And I thought, well, if I couldn't trust my parents at the time, how can I trust God? Yeah. Well, but see, you're in discernment. Discernment means thinking, reflecting in the milieu of prayer, in the environment of prayer. And that's what you're doing. Your reflections are based on your experience and the knowledge that you're having here, but it's also raising more questions, isn't it? Well, yes. Like I'm thinking, how do I believe? Well, no, you, you had no. more basic questions. 
I, I heard what you said about your definitions. The definitions were pretty good, but then you said they all sound the same. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Because they both have the same definitions under each one. There. Well, they're not quite the same. They're slightly different, but they don't really take you to an answer because in my dictionary, I'll, I'll, I'll be uh, sarcastic. Uh, in my dictionary, faith was belief, and belief was trust, and trust was faith. That's did what that, I had too, sort of similar, yeah. yeah. Did that help me at all? No, it was like no. a snake eating its own tail. Mm. It just led me in circles, absolutely. I'm going to take the group through the process of the Big Book Chapter 4, where we'll identify, and I'm going to give you sort of a, a preview of that, We'll identify that faith is a decision. Belief is the acceptance of the decision. And trust is acting as if it's behavior. Now I'm going to show you how that works in chapter four, because I think that's the way Bill unfolds it and leads us. But you see how clear that is? Faith yeah. is my decision, God is. Yeah. Belief is my acceptance that that's true. And trust is, I move my feet accordingly. So when you say I move my feet accordingly, do I just act as if right now? Because I'm thinking even my food's stronger than God. Well, but that's just a thought, isn't it? I thought, and based on my experience of 14 years. Uh, no, that's, that's your, your conclusion based on your thought and perception. So you think because you haven't had any power over food that God doesn't have enough power or just doesn't like you? Well, I think he's granted people like yourself and others, you know, even abstinence and sobriety from the word go. <laughs> uh, and then, go ahead. And then here are people like myself and lots of probably others on this call who are doing everything we're told to do yes and yet still picking up and yes. i think well yes i see it with my own eyes i see that why is that i, I know there's no answer so i don't i don't well I've there's not a very satisfactory answer there's not a satisfactory answer the answer that i've come up with because you're nailing it that's the bullseye question and quite frankly there's a dark mystery here, all right? Willingness and grace. Willingness is your willingness, and uh, you translate that into action. Grace is when, in fact, it becomes effective. Well, mine has not become effective. <laughs> well, and, and, and I'm going to contrast that just for a minute because it's so dramatic. I didn't even ask for it, and it was removed. Now I've got even more resentment towards God. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just made your list, right? Yeah, exactly. But I didn't know. I just was willing to stop drinking to support my wife's recovery. I haven't had a drink or a thought about a drink since. 36 years. I know. I mean, I can't explain that. I just can't. But I can observe it. And, and, and in the food program, your experience is the majority experience. Whether it's 
FA or OA or FAA or green sheet or 90 day or gray sheet or whatever. There are so many different 12 step programs. The experience is exactly what your experience is. I'm so doing, I think I'm doing all of the suggestions and I keep relapsing. I keep picking up. I might get a day. I might get a week. I might get a month. I might get a year. And then wham, I, I'm back in it again. I have no opinion about that. I have lots of observations. All right. Am I, am I hitting the target with you? Yeah. 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 And, and, there's a certain amount of humility that that has to bring to you and frustration and maybe even anger. Mm. And then you show up believing in the process, believing in the process. I mean, that's why you're here yeah. and doing the work and believing that what the big book says on pages 84 and 85, that you will be placed in a position of neutrality sometime during and no later than finishing the ninth step. You will be placed in a position, hear the grace, you will be placed, you will be placed. This is not about you being empowered. You will be placed in a position of neutrality. And it's kind of like, there's where hope comes in. See, there's a positive you're listening to me and you're, I know you're thinking, yeah, well, it hasn't happened her, but I don't expect it to because yeah, yeah whatever, fill in the blank. Mm. But then going back to your concept of God, which is where you started, this is your challenge. Sounds to me like your God is too small. Didn't you just say, my God doesn't have sufficient power? Yeah, that's my belief. And that's exactly what my feet are showing me. Yeah. Well, mm, 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 okay. I hear what you're saying. Yes, that is your interpretation. Yes. Yeah. I, I can't explain it. I can't give you a reasonable answer. I can't give you a logical answer. I can't give you an experiential answer. I have no answer for you other than trust the process and hope for the outcome because I've never seen it fail this process. Never once have I seen it fail in the long run. In the short run, very cyclical, but in the long run, it's never failed. I don't know what the, and I'll use the term loosely, I don't know what the magic is. There's a mystery. It comes from the word mystery. I, there's a mystery here. God's grace, my willingness and action. But in the Sistine Chapel, Michelangelo left a space in the middle. There's where the darkness is and that's where the mystery is. And I can't explain it. So how do I, if I don't trust and if I don't, how do I oh, work well, through how that? Would you, wait, wait, wait. How would you know if you're trusting? By having, so for example, by when I'm have this is where I think, and I'm probably wrong, <laughs> is when I'm really wanting to eat, I should be turning to God more. This is what I've been told in program. 
and trusting that he will take that thought away, that he's stronger than the food. But I, I don't. I sort of pray, but it doesn't really come from the heart because I think you can't do it anyway. So I try to do it myself. So my head says, if I trusted God, then I'd be abstinent. Maybe that's wrong, Herb. Yeah, that is. It, it, well, I understand it. It's just not a healthy thought. You're, you're not that powerful by definition. You're powerless, in fact. And, and God doesn't respond to your prayer. And God <laughs> doesn't respond to your actions. Oh, my gosh. We're in deep you, water you, now. But didn't you just say willingness, which is action, is met by grace? So doesn't God respond to my action? I can't tell you that because if God would re be responding to your action, then, in fact, you, you obviously have some power. Mm. And oh. obviously, then, that whatever that God is, it's not unconditional. Ooh, <laughs> this gets pretty murky. It's so confusing. Uh-huh, yes. Don't, I don't get No, that's exactly right. It's very murky here. And that's why I say mystery. I mean, I'm not going to clarify it. I can't. I have been at this now for 34, 32 years after I've had my own experience of walking through the steps. I've been at over 30 years, I've been attempting to understand it and to explain it. I've never understood it or explained it. So how do people find a power if they think there is no power? Well, first of all, in step two, you make a decision that there is a power. Okay. But what, no, but here, 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 here we go now. This is really a good, very deep conversation, but a very good conversation. What is faith? Faith is, well, I've wrote down what you said, is a decision that God is. Do you hear that? So I just need to make a decision. That's what the big book says. On That's page all 53. I have to do. That's what he says on page 53. You, God is or God isn't, what is your choice? Now, do you hear the emptiness of that? I do, because I started off by saying, I do believe there is a God, because something's created this universe, so I must believe. Well, okay, so uh, let's go with your definitions. Faith is the decision. Belief is the acceptance of that decision, and that sounds just like what you said. I made a decision, God is. I'm accepting yeah. it. I really do believe that. I accept it, that there is a God, all right? Yes. yes. So then what would trust me? I didn't write that, so I have to listen to it again. Can you say what trust is, please? Okay, yeah. It, it's then you put your feet in action based on your faith and your belief. Mm. And what you said originally, I act as if. You don't know and you don't feel, but your feet move. Faith is very empty. Mm. Faith is very thin and dark. There's no substance to it. It's just your decision. And at the end of step two, I'm going to ask you to make another decision based on the way I've experienced step two. And that is, what are the attributes and qualities that God needs to be and have for you? Now, clearly, one of the major qualities that this, whatever this is, 
that you're seeking this power needs to have sufficient power to relieve your problem. Yep. I know. Yeah, you're right on it. And I, and I can't help you cross over. I can only coach you and, um, and hold up sort of the words and the vision and the hope. You, you've made the decision. You say you accept the decision. And now the only evidence that you, that's all true is how you move your feet. So if I make a decision that God is, can I also make a decision, even though I don't believe it, that he's all powerful <laughs> and then just act as if anyway? That's it. That's, that's what faith is. And you get to choose. And this is the, quite frankly, this is the silver bullet of big book and 12 step is that you get to choose and you get to describe and you get to pick out the ingredients that you need this power, this reality to be and to have. And then, then you have to base your life on it. Yeah. And not just for today, but on a daily, 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 daily basis. I know. And that's where in another area, Bill says, people have faith. People of faith have courage. Yeah. Takes a lot of courage to implement what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for, um, for your work. I, I'm finding this workshop powerful and, um, and the previous conversation, very powerful. Um, I have a question about mental health. (laughs) All right. Um, But it relates to step two and what we've been talking about. So so my higher power has given me the grace. Um, I was struck sober. 27 years ago, something like that. Um, overnight, overnight. I um, just tell us a little bit about when you say struck, what do you mean by that? What kind of a little bit of a story do you have for us? The little bit of story is I was drinking. I knew it was a problem. I tried to stop several times over the years. Somehow I got myself to an AA meeting. How did you know about AA? Oh, because I called the Al-Anon hotline. Why would you call Al-Anon? Because I just, that's the only thing I knew that had anything to do with alcohol. Got it. All right. You called the Al-Anon hotline and? And I described my issue and they said, oh, ma'am, you need the AA number. (laughs) (laughs) So... I got the AA number. I went to my first meeting. I cried the whole time. Yeah. I left the meeting. I cried. And they told me at the meeting I had to believe in a higher power. So on the way home when I was driving, I said, I don't know what higher power. I don't know where you are or what you're doing or if you can hear me. And I was just crying. And I woke up the next day and I haven't had a drink since. Yeah. 
Your, your willingness to call Al-Anon and then to follow their direction, my willingness to go to support my wife and to eventually do the actions that they suggested, I think that willingness is the key. And in the big book, and we'll look at it next week, um, <clears throat> on page 47, Bill says, willingness is the cornerstone for step two. Exactly. Yeah. Now, willingness is show up, talk about it, cry about it, do the dictionary work, listen, and sort of just like be open to this conversation, which has got to be very, very frustrating. And there's probably very many people relating to it on the line. Yeah. Yes. So I have had a similar experience with the food. How, mm. However... Um, in your questions on the will, I think the two areas that I, where I am asking God for help, um, and I don't know if it, well, is the, um, I'm very, I'm, I'm fine right now, but I have had some issues with depression. Um, it's on and off. I manage it. Uh, but I know when I'm biochemically imbalanced and I have to work with that. Um, and I also have fear that I do work with, but I have a lot of fear. And so in terms of your question about do I believe, I absolutely, I've had, I've had my experience of my higher power doing what I didn't even ask for. And I mean, so this belief can't, is that appropriate for, you know, the mental health issues of having a predisposition to depression? I'm fine now, but once in a while it just pops up. So as my higher power removed my desire for a drink, will my higher power remove my periodic depression and mm -hmm. and intensity of fear at times. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Underneath the fear inventory is prayer. Underneath the resentment inventory is prayer. Bill, Bill gives us basically the assumption that we're as powerless over our resentment, we're as powerless over our fear as we are powerless over our substance of addiction or process of addiction. All right. So we're powerless. So he suggests prayer. However, there's a psychologist in San Francisco who wrote a wonderful book on spirituality and therapy called Dr. Wellwood, W-E-L-L-W-O-O-D, and uh, spirituality and therapy. And in there, he said, too many people go to spirituality to solve emotional and psychological problems. And he called it spiritual bypass. If you had a broken leg, Jennifer, would you go to church or would you go to a doctor? Ah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's as graphic as I could make it. Now, some depression is clinical and biochemical as you're describing it. Some depression is behavioral and emotional, all right, and can be corrected in different ways. Um, I'm a 
total believer in medication to deal with biochemical imbalances, whether it be schizophrenia, diabetes, or depression. All right? But that's where professionals come in and to do the evaluation. Um, now, here's a little more subtle of, of, of an experience that I have. A lot of depression and fear is relieved as we do steps four through nine because we get underneath the sources of these emotions, these negative emotions. And as we identify it, it's very therapeutic. It's very healing. When we finish the ninth step, there is a healing that takes place that can't even be done by a therapist, certainly not by a medical doctor. All right. So there's, there's, a, there's a tricky subtlety in here. The answer to the question is, if you have clinical depression, literally a biochemical imbalance, you probably are going to need medication. If you have depression because it's of trauma or some other kind of negativity from family of origin or life experiences, probably therapy will help without medication. And certainly the steps will help in all of that. But that's where you have a partnership with a sponsor, a medical doctor, and a therapist, all three different people who have an understanding of the organic interaction of all of those parts. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really good question. One of the people I work with, he was my therapist, Dr. Alan Berger, back, back in the day. He says that when people work the steps, they make much better patients. Mm -hmm. Do you hear that? Right. Yeah, because they've opened themselves up. There's a spiritual connection, whatever that means. And they're much more malleable and open to the therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've thrown a lot of experience and a lot of words at you. Um, tell me what your sort of uh, reaction or impression is of what I'm saying compared, mm, connecting to what your questions were. Well, thank you. I, what I took from what you said is if I had a broken leg, would I go to a doctor or would I go to church? And that's wonderful. That's very clear. Yeah. And um, I do happen to be on a very low dose of medication. Yes. Um, and it's fine. And I have been fine. Um, there sometimes is it part of me that feels ashamed of that yes and and other people will reinforce that shame unfortunately because they're ignorant so that's where you grow your own center of gravity deep inside yourself with your information and guidance from experienced people you can stand without shame and without guilt, without defending yourself or trying to make them wrong and you right, but you don't allow them to name you because they just don't know that they don't know and they're prejudiced. Yeah, yeah. And thank you, because I, I don't 
think I knew I had that much shame until I was talking to you. So. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, yeah. And, and when you talk to people who have information, legitimate information and experience, you will get the information that will help you balance holding on to your own experience. My wife, Irish Catholic, very resistant, prejudiced about medication, severely depressed and in AA. Quitting drinking was the worst thing that happened to her because she got more depressed. Mm -hmm. her, her medication had been taken away. She had no way of dealing with her feelings. Finally, because she suffered so much, she went to a, a therapist and got medication. And within three months, she was feeling normal and better, whatever that meant for her. All right. I mean, she had the sponsor. She was working the program. She was doing all the drill. The medication made a huge difference. After about three months, she said, okay, I got this now. I know what it feels like to be normal, to not be depressed. She went off her medication and within a month she was back in the toilet. Yeah. She learned that she was biochemically challenged and needed to be on medication the rest of her life. So she never went off it again. And I was, I was very happy about that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you know, she had that shame. So I can really relate to it experientially. She had this Irish guilt and shame about it, which was reinforced by ignorant people in the program. But she then, you know, between myself and other people who are professionals, she was able to get a balanced view on it. And not only that, it was her experience now. Yes. All right. So she had a legitimate experience that, that she could hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. Does that help? It does. Thank you so much. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. Um, that's a very healthy conversation that we just had. Thank you for asking those questions and uh, dialoguing with me about that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was another one of those people who was brought up Catholic. Yeah. And I remember at the time I was just beginning to experiment with alcohol and drugs and things like that. And, and I'd been brought up very strictly and I was very, you know, I said the rosary regularly. I went to mass every day on during Lent. You know, I was like, you know, real good Catholic girl um, growing up. And I had this big faith in God and Jesus and Virgin Mary and all that kind of stuff. So, but when I got out into the big world, I grew up in a small town and I got up to the big world and I, I started, actually the thing that really shook me the most when I found out the Pope couldn't be a woman. And <laughs> that, that challenged my, my thinking. And I said, well, that can't be right now. If that's not right, what else is not right? Oh. And um, so I actually prayed this. I said, God, I want to know from experience who you are or if you exist, not by being taught or told by somebody else. Right. I said, I want the experience. And until I get that experience, I'm going to suspend all belief. Set it aside. Yeah, I said, no belief. I'm just a, I'm a blank. Of course, it's impossible to be a blank tablet, but I was making every, every attempt that I could in my 18-year-old Wow, that's pretty conscious. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and I never, and then um, 
it was almost eight years before I started coming into the program as a potential alcoholic and um, also with food problems. And I, but at that point I had developed not, because it hadn't been revealed to me to my satisfaction. I was very hostile and I, and I was hostile about religion. Matter of fact, when I first started coming to program, I did, would not stand up during any prayers. Usually people, they'll stand up and not say the prayer. Right. Hold hands. I was like off in the corner. That's right. You have your hostile, integrity. Angry, hostile, <laughs> angry, and defiant. And um, so, but one morning I would, you know, I, I was kind of waking up and I was in that half sleep mode. I had like my life flash in front of me. And I had been going to meetings and I loved them and I loved I loved addicts and alcoholics and I, you know, I, I loved the program. I just that was that one hitch about the higher power. But anyway, so and I was in denial about being an alcoholic or an addict. I just said there was a potential there. And I was exploring it. So I didn't become one. But lo and behold, I was already there. Right. So um, so in that half awake moment. I had a, I had a, you know, my spiritual experience, uh, whatever it was, but all of a sudden I was absolutely sure that there was a higher power. Mm. No doubt about it. You know, just went from hostile, like, yeah. you know, doubter to like, absolutely there's a God. Also, I, at that moment, I realized that my higher power had been taking care of me the best it could with the results of her, whatever, yeah. whatever it was that I was not trying to connect in any way. Yep. And then the next thought is like, I know what to do because I've been going to the program. So I knew I had to do the steps, get a sponsor, you know, go to 90 meetings a day, you know, whatever, you know. And I also at that point said I would be willing to do anything um, to put my program ahead of everything. But like now fast forward like 41 years. Um, I sometimes think that... Um, I don't know if my higher power is the same thing as God or an intelligent uh, creator of the universe. Um, I am questioning that God, I, I know. So somebody had to create this magnificent world and creation and life. And, uh, how, you know, I'm, I'm just in awe of it. I live in a really natural world. And, um, but I think sometimes that um, God is not perfect much more powerful than me, um, much more intelligent than me and stuff like that, but not perfect. I and mean, that sort of human beings were an experiment. And that, uh, and the reason I, I think about the not perfect thing, because especially now during it, like, you know, the, the economy's tanking, the planet's taking, all these things are going awry and people are suffering, being wiped out. And they, it's not because they don't have faith or a connection to their higher power. They're just randomly victims. But a lot of people are suffering that have their wills lined up with the higher power. Well, so you have a belief that if you're in alignment with your higher power, you're not going to suffer? No, not going to suffer, but the extreme suffering. Why would that be any different? If there's a ge geological catastrophe or a uh, mental illness or a physical illness or a pandemic, why, why would free will have anything to do with anything? Well, why would God make the world that, so that people would 
I'm talking about suffer unusually, not I, like the humans suffering. I know you're just you're just making it all relative. Yeah. Well, what determines uh, unusual suffering? If in fact the tectonic plates were created by geology, then when they move, they're going to create earthquakes. That's just what it is. And if human beings are created with free will, but they're put into a body that has the potential of mental illness, they're going to create genocide. That's just what it is. But why would God create the system like that? Well, but you're you're saying why? What is a, what is a what is free will? If it's not free to be free, then it's not free. But so anyway, wonderful questions. We're going to stop here, <laughs> but we will have more of this kind of conversation because well, this is the kind of it's very relevant conversation in step two. But yeah. you. I'm asking you to challenge yourself with your concept of free will. Well, I can see that I'm either free or it's not. Yeah, but if I misuse my free will and I suffer because of that, that's one thing. But why is it other people would suffer? Well, because you have free will and that's going to impact other people with free will. That's why we have civilization and laws. Yeah. So anyway, I'm, sometimes I think God made a mistake. Yeah, I understand what you're we saying. We're an experiment and we, he needs to six things anyway yeah. i also believe in more will be revealed <laughs> all right excellent wonderful i see you're raising the, the the level of our conversation to these are very big questions and and that's very appropriate in steps two and step three all right and and you can answer them you you have to answer them yeah. you'll be invited to answer them as we go through this process God just is, and I know that, and God um, created this world. I am part of it, and part of God, and God knows all the answers now, and I went on and on about all the things that God is, God does. Initially, I was saying a lot of he's, and then I remembered, really, there is no gender um, all the things about God. And then in the middle of the week, I started readjusting what my beliefs were or are, were. And I really don't believe that um, if I really believe that way, I don't act the way God would want me to act. And if I had all these beliefs, why is it that he didn't spare me a little grief earlier in life. <laughs> and I was thinking, it's the first time I could say it like this because- Oh, it's wonderful. These are really good reflections, yeah. Yeah, well, well, it's taken a long time to even acknowledge that there was grief and acknowledge how I automatically act because of that grief and haven't changed. So I'm a bit disenchanted, maybe disenchanted with my all-powerful God. Um, or maybe disenchanted with your concept. Yeah. Not, and not the reality. See, make a distinction. You, your, your, your reflections are wonderful. 
just wonderful reflections continue that line of thinking and questioning and challenging. It's just wonderful, healthy for you. Um, but there is the word G-O-D, and the word itself is just Western civilization's symbol of the reality, a reality by definition that can't be symbolized accurately because whatever it is that we're trying to figure out a word or phrase for by its very nature it's infinite having no beginning and no end that's what underneath the underneath the underneath value proposition is we can't even relate to that because we're finite we have a beginning and we have an end you cannot put the ocean in a bucket. I'm a bucket. God, whatever that is, is the ocean. And it won't fit in my bucket. Now, I can call it a bucket. I can call it a barrel. I can call it a whatever, thousand gallon, whatever. But it's also not, never going to be big enough to handle the entire ocean. By, by, by its own limitations. I am limited in whatever this reality is that we're struggling to connect to is unlimited. That itself is beyond our ability to adequately understand. And that's, what, that's how the big book phrases it. Whatever our language is, it's going to be inadequate. But being human beings, we choose a word, we choose a phrase, we, cho we choose a concept. And that's, as I call it, the silver bullet of AA and the 12 steps, is that it invites us to our own concept. Not Bill Wilson's concept, not Herb's concept. What attributes and qualities do you need at this time in your life, at this evolution of your own consciousness? It's, it's brilliant. And then, as Gandhi said, our concept, our concept will change as we do. My concept has changed many times since 1988 when I began doing this work. Many times my concept has changed. Gone from father to teacher to coach to healer to mystery. Currently, the word I'm using is flow, F-L-O-W. Just a, a very ambiguous term that captures for me what Bill is trying to say when he says the spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things. I mean, that's, that's like a huge concept. The spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things. Goodness, what does that even mean? I don't know, but I spend some time meditating on it. When I think of my different concepts, I don't know if the phone's right. Um, my concepts don't work. I have concepts. I, used, I really want to think, believe, I have a concept that God's going to take care of me. Yeah, well, you know, you know, right, right there, though, there's trouble. It's not God's job to take care of you. It's your job to take care of you. 
That's why you got free will. Nobody's coming. God's not even coming. God's not coming. Nobody's coming. That was a sign over a psychologist's uh, office here in Los Angeles. Nobody's coming. How would you like to walk into that office? <laughs> I know that. Yeah, yeah, because we're the ones, each one of us are the ones we're waiting for. God's not coming. If there is this reality, it is already here. It's not coming. It's here. That's why Bill also says in, on page 53, God is or God isn't. God is everything or God is nothing. God is everything or there is no God. Whatever this reality is, it's... Omnipresent would be the theological term. Omnipresent, meaning all present. That's why the step 11 doesn't say to reach out and make contact with God. That's not what it says. It says to improve our conscious contact. We're already in contact. That's the, that's the whole point of the decision here in step two a decision that there is this reality. I think that I don't have enough connection with what this reality really is for me so I can make, use words to describe what my concept of, or what qualities I would like God to have at this time. Well, um, let's challenge that. What do you need in a power other than yourself right now? A power to know that I'm loved, and it goes oh. back to being taken care of. Uh, well, that I'm loved. Well, but love doesn't mean being taken care of. My, my father and mother loved me in the best way they could, but they taught me to take care of myself. I was never really taught to take care of myself, and I also just don't have economic ability. The thing is, I just um, I don't know what I what I want my God to have. What um, well, first of all, we're in step two. Again, this is a teaching moment directly to you, but for the benefit of everybody, we're in step two. Where did we just come from? Step one. Oh, where I see all my unmanageability. Well, so are you seeing, I uh, come from step one where I don't have sufficient power. In step two, I guess one of the qualities should be sufficient power. Oh. Right? That I'd want God to have sufficient power. There you go. Yes. I want God to have sufficient power to be able to help me. Yes. And then in step three, what does it say? Made a decision to turn my life and my will over to the care of God. So not only do I want it to have a sufficient power because of my experience with step two, but in anticipation of step three, I want it to be a caring power. Uh, yes. What would it look like to believe that God has a power to take care of me? What 
I'm grappling with that. Yes, you um, are. Yes, you um, are. Yeah, this is the line of reflection that I want to encourage everybody to have. What, it, what does it mean, care of turning to my life and my will over to the care of God? When I get into my car, I know where I want to go. It's my car. I have the keys. I know how to drive. I know where I want to go, but I don't know how to get there. So I put the address in the GPS, and then I listen to the GPS, and I turn over my directions to the GPS, and I listen and take direction. Does that, that, does that connect? Does that connect? Connects very much. Yes, my, my GPS is taking care of guiding me to where I want to go. And I connect, and then it goes into, so now what is it he is telling? God is telling me where to go. What is the response? God is giving me guidance, but if I'm low on gas, I better stop and get some gas. I have responsibilities to take care of the car. I have responsibilities to know where I'm going to go. I have responsibilities to follow direction. God's not carrying me to where I want to go. The car is. This is a pretty powerful uh, sort of uh, analogy. And I'm really learning inside, feeling now that there is that power, certainly greater than myself. So as long as I believe that, then I could start believing the other. It makes it more plausible to believe the other. It makes it more plausible. And as we take the actions, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we think, as we take the actions following the direction we learn to trust it because we like the outcome. Yeah. And, yeah, that, and that then begins to give us confidence that our decision was accurate. One of my teachers, Richard Rohr, says, faith is the acceptance of that for which there is no evidence. And once we accept it and behave accordingly, the evidence appears. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I know. (laughs) That's a lot. That is a lot. And and we're going to spend several workshops going methodically through chapter four in the big book and revisiting all of these metaphors and and questions and dynamics that I've just discussed. I've sort of given a Reader's Digest version of step two's process. It's like all of these things, because of our workshop, is I'm becoming more aware of them. I never thought about needing medication. I didn't think about really being connected with myself or being connected with history and my 
which is why I was thinking, well, where have you been, God? Now I have a different way to maybe uh, start thinking. Know, I, had, I had kind of a conversation with somebody yesterday who really couldn't get the, the connection to God and, and suffering in the, in, in the world. That's not the kind of God that she would believe there would be a God. There should be no, there should be no suffering if there truly was a God. And uh, we didn't have a lot of time to explore that, but that's a huge question that's been posed by philosophers and theologians for centuries. And I have some, I have some experience or some thoughts on that at some point. We'll be talking about that during our journey in steps two and three. We're out of time now, so I've got to bring it to a conclusion, but it's been a wonderfully stimulating meeting. Thank you so much. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. <laughs>